This is an Ercasia special episode, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. Hello and welcome to another edition of Ergesia Special. My name is Brendan Byrne and I have the pleasure of being your host. In the last edition of Ergesia Special, I spoke with trade unionist Chris Hughes about his religious background and how his formation in both the Roman Catholic and British Quaker traditions have shaped his attitudes toward justice and his approach to the world of work. In this episode, We continue our conversation, touching on the sometimes troubled relationship between religious faith and organised labour, and the challenges that face both the church and the union movement as the world around them changes. So, without any further ado, here is Ergasia Special Episode 2, Conversation with a Quaker, Part 2. The church, historically speaking at least, has a long involvement in advocating for, for workers' mm-hmm. rights to justice. You know, think of a series of papal encyclicals yes. from Rerum Novarum onwards, the Catholic worker movement, mm-hmm. the worker priests, yes. the historical links between Methodism and the emergence of trade unionism yes. in Great Britain. What um, can can you can you describe or give any information regarding um, the involvement of the, the Quaker tradition in in that regard? Well, it's interesting in that um, definitely in Britain. So, the in relation to the, the Quaker tradition, what fundamentally happened is it came out of the British Civil War, mm. and from that it was actually. Um, it was, it, it was actually um, because they refused to take oaths, mm. because they refused to pay tithes, mm. because they weren't supportive of, of the, the, the English church. Mm. Like Catholics, they were excluded mm. uh, from positions in government, they were excluded from tertiary education, they were excluded from a lot of areas of, of the secular society. So they had the tendency, while initially in the beginning they were in all spheres, but mostly in agricultural, what tended to happen, they were then became merchants. Mm. And what came about pretty much in the 18th and 19th century, what you found, Quakers then became merchants and set up businesses. Mm. And they used that as a way of actually um, dealing with their, with their society. So virtually, if you look at all the major producers of um, chocolate or confectionery in Britain, they're all Quaker families. Mm. And the main reason was they went into chocolates or drinking chocolate mm. as a way of stopping alcohol, mm. as a way of dealing with gin. Yeah. So what you'll find historically when it comes down to the relationship between, in those early days, the 18th, 19th century, 
uh, was that Quakers, because they were mostly merchants, had the tendency then to uh, expect or treat their workers a lot better. So what you found, Quaker organisations had a tendency to provide uh, medical assistance, providing housing, but not necessarily, all, but also can be quite paternalistic yes. in their view of that, well, there wouldn't be a pub in their areas. Yes. So they can be, so they're, they're certainly far from being perfect. I think right. there's a lot of Christian paternalistic in the way they operated, and I think uh, they treated their, their um, workers particularly better than a lot of other industrialists. Mm. And the relation to their relationship with unionism, I would suggest that they would be comfortable with actually engaging with unions and seeing that, that workers should be represented. So I don't think they would be anti-trade union in the, in the sense of, of the ethically. Uh, I'd say quite a lot of them probably had areas where um, unions weren't necessarily active within their, their, their workforce. But I think if they were, they'd be quite comfortable with that. What's tended to happen since then is that um, in the 20th century, you've seen a shift, and with with now I would say that the bulk of Quakers have a tendency to be in the um, service industries. They're more likely now to be employed in non-NGOs or in academia mm. or um, the service industries. Mm. Mm. So, um, and you know, there, there would be ones that would be active union members. Mm. So, you know, so most of the Quakers I know would probably be fairly active unionists or members of their union. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, so I think they, they're not antithized to unions. I think mm. they see unions are an effective and way of dealing with them. And I think those in business would um, perceive that they should be dealing with unions, and unions have a rightful place mm. within the workforce. Mm. So I think there's, mm. that, I don't think there's an issue with that. Mm. It's interesting. The the um, what what you've been talking about reminds me, and I've I've completely forgotten his name now. But there's a famous model town in England that mm. was run by a wealthy industrialist who had a one of the biggest. I think it was a silk yeah. mill, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was from a nonconformist. Mm. So there was yeah there was quite a lot of those um, mm. sunlight um, mm. sunlight just outside of Liverpool run right. by Unilever did it now okay so there was yeah so and also what's happened to over the years is those Quaker organisations have now been sold mm. and now it's general businesses and there's been a shift in that yes but also I think Quakers the Bader organisation was the same there was talk about um, worker in, uh, like um, collectives, mm. co-optives. Mm, yes. So they actually were quite supportive of the cooperative process. Yes. And I think they were probably more aligned to more of a concept of setting up a cooperative with their workers, yes. more so than having them represented by a union. Yes. And I don't think that was necessary because I think that was just more, it was probably more in keeping with their, yes. their perception of actually working with yes. than, than that. So I think there was probably a couple that would go down that, that, yes. that line. Yes. And, and and what you've been talking about in, in terms of the, the, the Quaker attitude to workers reminds me very strongly of, of what used to be the, the working club working man's club oh, movement yeah. and that sort of thing. So there do seem to be some some convergence. Oh definitely. And I think that, that and to a certain extent, if you look back on the nineteen hundred with the Methodists mm. and, and uh, with those uh, and uh, those bonds is that there was also that evangelical mm. 
process and answers actually was was Quakers got involved in that and there's an evangelical aspect within Quakerism that accepted and pursued that about educating and upskilling mm. working class mm. people to mm. be more involved in their society and, and, and to give them an opportunity yes. uh, to, to live lives beyond just being able to read the Bible but mm. actually having an opportunity to actually make their life more compatible and better. So I think, yes, I think there is, I think that that type of evangelical Christian movement in the 19th century was across all of the mm. Christian denominations, and particularly the, the, the more non-reformist ones. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in Australia during the Cold War, and especially as regards the Catholic Church, the involvement in of Christians in the labour movement mm. has sometimes been problematic and, and decisive and yeah. divisive, rather. And, I mean, you know, those of us who are of an age to remember the working <laughs> groups... Um, the groupers? Groupers, yes. yeah. Um, so what do you yeah. feel is, is the legacy of any of that history and, and, and how might it be reconciled and, or overcome? Well, I think it was very much a, a product of its day. Mm. And I think... You know, if we go back to anywhere, really, in the, in the, particularly in the 60s, we lived in a very secular, sectarian societies. But Australia was very much so. I mean, going back to my own place of birth in Liverpool, mm -hmm. is that it was very sectarian between Catholics and Protestants yes. to the extent where you worked, and, and that was quite, quite sectarian. Yes. Um, that still operates a little bit in, in, in Scotland, and it still has implications in Northern Ireland. But in Australia, that type of divide between the Protestant and the Catholic view of the world was, was quite endemic in the 60s. Still, it was that process. And what tended to happen was that a lot of the times, working class people had the tendency to be Catholic. And, and, the, and a lot of the... Uh, people in businesses or within the, the you know within the, the government mm. or or within the police force had the tendency to be more of a positive one and that yes. you know wasn't because of that it was just reflected in that um, what I find interesting in many ways is that if we look back at which governments have actually sent the military in to mm. take over striking workers. They've been both Labour. Yes. And 49 with the Coles with Chifley. Yes. And there was no doubt there was pressure on Chifley as a Catholic to pursue a Catholic perspective. And Mannix. Yes. And um, I forgot his name now. The, he's, yeah, but that, that... So I think that type of thing... And I think there may well be reasons why you would have such a antithism within the trade union today about faith, because I think there's a lot of that negative feeling is about how faith was used yes. as a tool in the 60s and 50s and 60s. So I, I have a tendency to think that there could be some resilient yeah. problem, but uh, resonant areas about that because of that nature. So I would say that we've gone post that, mm. in that now that most, most people probably, their faith and their adherence to the views of their church or the views of, of those in leadership has changed a lot. We're less likely to be influenced by a local priest or a local minister now than they were in that time. And I think it was a very different age. Mm. But I, I would, I, on reflection now, what I'm thinking about, I think that may be a reason why there's such a distrust within the, the union movement of those members that do faith, which is residual to that process yes. where, in fact, 
it, it was a mechanism to, to, to pursue a political outcome. Yes. Yeah. So, so even if there's not the historical memory anymore, it has, however, infected the internal culture of the union. Well, I think society is more secular now, mm. and I think that that's true. And there's much more of a secular concept. But I think within the trade union movement, even today, mm. even us talking yes. in many ways, we're aware of it. Yeah. And I think people joining the union movement who talk to people in the union movement, there's that corporate history yeah. about the group and the corporate history about the split. And a lot of the times, people still refer back to that when they're talking about. Um, unions today and where they sit. Yes. So I think that we also have still residual, there are elements within the trade union movement where there is some friction because people's, uh, people do think sometimes people's conservative religious beliefs have influence in how the union operates or how the union operates within its party affiliations and things like yes. that. So I think there's an element, so I think there is some of that where it was pretty much entrenched in the 50s and 60s. I mm. think there's remnants of it now that still yes. people are aware of and uncomfortable with. Yes. Yeah. But if we look at the other extreme, there has been, particularly since the 70s, an increasing privatisation of faith, yes. a separation mm. of what I believe personally and my engagement with the wider world yes. on a sort of Monday to Friday basis. From your point of view, is that as equally problematic as, for example, the, the church attempting to use an organisation like the union movement for particular purposes? Is the privatisation of faith, the individualisation of faith, the withdrawal of the church from the engagement, for example, in the world of work, hmm. is that problematic as well? Oh yes, no, definitely. I, I, I definitely believe that. Mm. Um, I think that is important, and I, and I think it's important for these conversations to be had. And I think it's important for, for and I don't think I, I don't think it's well. Certainly, in the case of um, Quakerism, is we actually believe everything is sacred. So we don't we don't celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Easter. We don't um, you know, to us. You don't need a consecrated building for faith. Mm. Uh, we, you know, we don't necessarily. So, in many ways, it's that the whole of life is sacred, and therefore, we wouldn't support that compartmentalisation of that. I'm a Christian on the Sunday, and then the rest of the week, I'm part of my secular community. Yes. That there, there should, you know, that, that's our aim. I mean, mm -hmm. people have different ways in which they achieve that, but yeah. I, I would agree that it's important that. Even as trade unionists, we would say that uh, a person is a citizen as well as a worker, and and that there are aspects at work. You know, there shouldn't be a separation between my my life as a community member, or a citizen, and my life as a worker. That mm. that you can't make those conditions. It mm. both, and I'd say the same thing is you can't separate somebody's faith and belief and how they interact with their society, including including their workplace. Mm. I mean, I would have different... One of the concerns, personally, I have is I'm very um, concerned about the militarisation of, of our workforce now, where what concerns me is, if you look at my old union, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, in the 50s and 60s, they had policies about transferring from defence to civilian productions, building ships, mm. they actually were against the of production, but now 
we have a, now it's actually going out there and celebrating and actually promoting the militarization of our society by this government. Mm. They're building more war, war, warships mm. to export mm. the death traps. That mm. concerns me. I, what I'm concerned about, I think, in many ways, what's happened within the trade union movement is it's actually started to lose a lot of those barriers and ethics and, and, and has actually put work ahead of mm. what is appropriate work. Mm. 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 So I think in many ways you're absolutely right. I mm. think that it's not an either or. I think those extremes are both bad. Mm. I think um, people having a political view of the world and using religion as a way of justifying that, saying, well, God wants us to be <laughs> productive, or God hates communists, mm. is one extreme, but the other extreme is when somebody says, well, it's easier in, a, in, a, in this society for me to separate my faith from my interaction with society is wrong. And I think we're now seeing the effects of that. Yes. And I think we're now seeing the effects of the trade union movement going away from a lot of its values and standards on peace mm. and militarism mm. to more about arguing about employment or mm. standards or wages and conditions. So I think we've, in many ways we've shifted, the trade union movement as a whole has shifted away from having a a view of what type of society we should be in, yes. more now to more of, okay, let's get the best deal possible within the society that we have. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You touched on your concerns about militarism and the idea of what is proper work or mm. good work and what yeah. isn't. Within the Quaker tradition, is there a, a, a general view about not just what is or isn't good work, but what is the role of work in human life? Oh, definitely, yeah. In, in many ways, it's, it's kind of like... It, it, work is actually about creating uh, a space for that person, for them to actually see their full potential, to be a part of a community. That, that uh, In many ways, the, the financial aspect of work is the least part of that. That it actually, it, it's a part of people's soul and their development as human beings, their capacity to be active within the community. So um, the type of work we do is very, very important. And Quakers have always made it quite clear that people's choices of their work reflects their religion. Mm. Now, it's a bit different. There was, actually, there was a particular time in Quakerism where you would be actually um, disowned or excommunicated, as Catholics would call it, mm. for doing certain types of work. Mm. So, you know, so uh, in the original, so it's kind of like it's actually had an arc. In the original time, uh, what happened was a lot of, within the Civil War, they refused to fight in the Civil War, they refused to fight in the military. And even today, now it's, it's got a little bit more gentler, so the issue would be. Quakerism today would basically say we're not going to disown somebody who works for the military or works mm. in, a, in, a, in a work, you know, works for a tobacco company or works mm. within a, an alcohol producing process. But we would, we would counsel them to think clearly about is this in alignment mm. with what, the, what they should be doing. Mm. So very much that process is of um, how we engage with the world should reflect mm. Our, our faith. Our faith is all aspects of our life. It's not a part of us. It, should, it is integral to us and how we operate should be geared by that to the extent that our decisions should be purely, our decisions should be based on, on our faith mm. 
in action with the, in, with the world. Mm. So the job of religion is to go out and change the world, mm. not a concept of actually being a component within the world. Yes, yes. It, uh, it's interesting because a lot of churches, including the Uniting Church, have recently made a bit of a big deal about de-investing in yes. alcohol and fossil fuels and military uh, technologies. But it seems that this has been an impulse within Quakerism right from the get-go. Oh, definitely. And, and within and some of the other dissenting mm. uh, churches around the, that, that particular time. So if you look at the, if you look at the, the, um, the Mennonites, mm. uh, the, the, um, uh, the Amish, mm. uh, they were very much in that 16th century, uh, with, to a certain extent with Luther and that Protestant Reformation, you know, some of them ended up in that really quite restricted Calvinist type of approach, but others maintained that the Mennonites, the Catholics, the Mennonites, the churches, and a lot of other ones who then have maintained that process of, of saying, well, no, the, that it's, um, the faith should be doing things and we should disconnect from, mm -hmm. from the corporate the world. So I think a lot of them actually have maintained that, that possession of being of but not in the world. Yeah. And, and having their faith very much determine what and how they engage with the broader society. Yeah. So I think there has been a history of that for yeah. quite a few of the Christian faith. And I think Catholicism has struggled with that, depending on that, because of the centralised nature of it. Mm. But it's always been a very broad church. Yeah. So I've, um, Catholicism has allowed you pretty much have a fair bit of leeway, depending on which elements you wish, you know, with the Jesuits and yes, Catholic yes. work. It's, yes. it's not as monolithic or it's not as restrictive as I would say to the genuine Orthodox Protestant churches are. Mm. But then that's probably just my uh, Irish Catholic bias <laughs> against the Church of England. <laughs>